I think as entrepreneurs, I think you've talked about this is like, we're just bad employees. It's like, you think <laughs> you know better. Get, I'd never get hired. Nobody would ever yeah. hire me. I think when you're an entrepreneur, it's like, you feel like you know better than the boss. And if the boss doesn't listen to you, you're just going to leave. Like you're going to do, go do your own thing. And I felt that at, at, at my last company a lot. I was like, we shouldn't be doing things this way. It's like, if you're not going to change, why am I here? This is very frustrating. And there was a project that I was on where I was like, all right, if this is how things are going to keep going, I'm, I'm over this. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Alpha M podcast. Today, I've got a special guest and a good friend of mine, somebody that I've gotten to know better over the course of the past few years. John is an inspiration to me personally. The content that he's putting out on the Cavalier YouTube channel um, really, really just kind of affected me. And it made me realize that when, you know, it, it's so funny because YouTube has become such a, such a view sort of monster. Everybody's chasing the views. Everybody's chasing the clickbait. But when I actually started really diving in and analyzing what John, what you were doing, John, on YouTube, it really, I felt like it was special and it was something that was needed on the platform. Um, you are a very successful YouTuber with over 100,000 YouTube subscribers. You had, I don't know if you and Brock are still doing it. I went and checked and, and I, I, I don't know, I, you guys haven't posted anything on the Buttoned Up podcast in, in about like five months. It's been a little bit of a uh, COVID uh... Uh, COVID hit, but we I got we actually have a bunch in the can that we got to put up, so it's come back. John yeah. is also a the TikTok the Alpha M of TikTok, as somebody called you. Uh, you basically took up this platform and have exploded on there. Um, and you are also something that I'm really excited about to talk to you about is the CMO, Chief Marketing Officer of Strix, which is a new, very hot, up and coming men's makeup company. Men's makeup. Who would have thunk it, right? Is there really a market? Anyway, John Shanahan, great to have you. Thank you so much for, for coming and hanging with me today and, and being a part of this. Thank you, Aaron. I always like to say that I was one of the first iTunes reviews for the podcast. I was excited when you launched it. So uh, <laughs> do, you, do you remember when we were influential? what I said the, the video that made me always remember you was? I don't remember which was it. The video that I remember, I remember watching a lot of your videos. So the one I subscribed for was when you talked about shaving your butt. And you talked about like getting around the very yeah, sensitive area. Yeah, and I was like, all yeah. right, this guy talks for real. And you I've know? been a subscriber ever since. It's been, it's been a long time. That, uh, that is the, that's funny. Cause that video back in the day, um, you know, who, who would have thought, right. Talking about butt hair that you could actually make a business out of, out of doing that. Um, when I first started posting YouTube videos, it was something that it was almost like, kind of like internet dating when it started, right? Nobody really talked about it. It was kind of a little bit sketchy because back then it was all like cat videos and, and, you know, random weird stuff. And I remember my wife being incredibly embarrassed to tell people, or when I would be at a party or a gathering, they'd be like, Oh, what are you doing? I'm like, Oh, I make YouTube videos. She goes, don't tell anybody that. She still won't say, show her face. So clearly it's continued. <laughs> exactly. She's still embarrassed of me, but, uh, but how did you, your story is really interesting, John, and something that, that I really kind of want to dive into because you are also a husband, a father of three, three, yeah. three children. Um, you recently moved from Pittsburgh. The, the goal was to move to uh, Brooklyn, right? With, with Strix and that kind of got derailed with this whole COVID thing. And, and so, so we'll talk a little bit about that. I also want to talk in detail about um, your company Strix, which 
is amazing what you guys have been able to do with that in a relatively short amount of time. But I really feel like it's because there was a need, there's a market and things are different now than they were five, 10, 15 years ago. So talk to us a little bit about your story, your entrepreneurial journey, because you did not start as a content creator. You were actually working in the financial industry, correct? Uh, close. Well, actually, as a close. content creator, no, you're you're totally wrong. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, a little bit. There's a there's a financial aspect to it. But as a content creator, I mean, I I just actually digitized a bunch of videos that I used to make with my mom's camera when I was eight years old, and um, it's been weird to like, go back and see those. And so I actually have a YouTube video posted from 2006. I was I was like I loved YouTube from the day it launched. I mean, I remember being on the internet and like really diving into it. But then, yeah, the Cavalier started way later on. But my journey to it was really um, just just trying to figure out what I was good at. I think when you're young, you think you're good at everything. And then I've just slowly realized I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. I don't like doing that. And so going through like the corporate world, I think was really important. And actually, I was a really bad student in high school. I was uh, suspended a few times. I had bad grades. And I only really found myself in college when I went for design. I was like, oh, I love this. Like I love creating. That's when I really discovered that. And then I went out into the corporate world. I worked at Apple for four years. I did a lot of like training and sales and sales management. And then I went to a startup, which was in uh, predictive analytics. And so that's where the financial side of things came in because I was helping companies conceptualize new products and then all the way to the selling of it. And we were managing inventory, buys, design. And that's what showed me the entire life cycle of the retail industry. That was in 2014. And that's when I was like, holy cow. You, speaking of that, you did one of the best videos I've ever seen on this whole concept of, of, of retail and price point. And, and it was where you were really, I mean, how long did you spend? Tell everybody a little bit about that video, the video that I've, I've praised you on many, a few different occasions, just because I thought it was, it was so good. The animations were amazing. And, and I'm actually going to link to that video along with your YouTube channel down below. But, but tell everybody a little bit about that video. Yeah, that was the one on why uh, brands are no longer as great of a value or it's like why, why brand quality is declining. And that one got a lot of, a lot of pickup on Reddit because uh, basically that's what, I, that's what I did in my old job. It was I would work with these big retailers. We'd figure out how to get them the best product in, at the best prices to get them into the stores to sell them at the optimal levels. And so going through that exercise when I was really seeing in the retail industry, just how much it changed over the years and how all these discounts, like when I started shopping for clothes, that actually ties into how I started my channel. When I was shopping for clothes, I would go to Express and be like, oh, 35% off. Amazing. Let me buy everything that I can. And then the, <laughs> the clothes would deteriorate over time. And I was so annoyed that to me, Express was this amazing company. And I, I, I feel bad blasting them some, sometimes, but then again, not really, because that's why I'm here now. Um, but I would like spend all this money. And so then over time, just learning that in the retail industry, it used to start with the only sale was Black Friday. And then it was 30% every once in a while. And then it's 40%. Now you go to Gap and it's 60% off. And it's like those- All the time. All the time. And those companies are not, they're, they're intelligent. They know that they're going to make money even at 60% off. But the way they get there is that they reduce their costs enough that they can still make money at 60% off. And so even though you as a consumer think, oh, great deal, the clothing has had to then, they have to reverse engineer. So there was a time when the, yes, the deals are really good, but then companies reverse engineer into it. And it's the same thing with outlets. I've done videos on outlets where it's like, you know, outlets are great because you're getting a kind of a deal, but they're deteriorating the brand. It's the long-term for the brand. It's not very good. What's your favorite outlet store in terms of the brand that you feel is still a decent buy 
Cause I mean, a lot of them are not. And uh, what's your, what's your favorite outlet to uh, shop at when you do? If you do. I, I haven't been to a physical outlet in like four years. Like ever since I started digging into the space, it's like, I just don't really go to them anymore. I, I think I bought, the last time I bought a bunch of stuff was like the Nike outlets. Cause I was like, I just need some running stuff. But even then the Nike stuff that I bought wore out faster than when my Lululemon stuff that I've had for longer. And so it's like, yeah. I'm always, I'm, that's, that's been part of my evolution. The channel too, is like, how do I stop consuming so much, just buy less stuff. And like, I know you hit on that too, on your channel, like you're all saying like your, your bomber jacket. It's like, you know, that, that you're going to wear that all the time, get a lot of money out of it. And it's not great to have a whole closet you never wear, just have like five great pieces. Says the guy who owns 55 pairs of white sneakers. So, so just to, for the, for the audience, I still do enjoy um, the J crew outlet. But that being said, I'll go in there. And what I love there is they're, they're plain white t-shirts, they're plain black t-shirts, pocket tees. And the truth is though, uh, you always buy a size larger and know that it is going to be a throwout shirt where, you know, the, the stitching is going to start to unravel. I mean, sometimes I won't even get a single wear out of them. Um, but a lot of their button ups, I think are, are still nice. Some of their jeans or their denim is still decent, but the majority of the, the outlets out there, you know, I used to get so excited. I'm like, Oh my God, banana Republic, the gap as an outlet. Like I would lose my mind. I go in there and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And everything I bought, like didn't quite fit right. The fabric yeah. just wasn't the same. It's that. And that's when I realized, uh, wait a second, Houston, there's a problem and there's definitely a difference. Well, the concept um, is great though, because it used to be stuff from the main line that would go to the outlet and you would actually get a deal. But then they were like, oh, we can make stuff specifically for the outlet and use a different fabric. Cause like Brooks brothers is the same way. Brooks brothers, it's like you used to be able to get some of their Oxford cotton button downs and that'd be great. But then they started making the, the different lines for the outlets. And that's where some issues, didn't, but didn't Brooks Brothers file bankruptcy? Brooks Brothers did. J. Crew did. I did a video three years ago where I was like, J. Crew's going to file for bankruptcy. Here's our financials, and then it happened three years later. So <laughs> I like, I like being right on on some of these things. I mean, it, su it sucks though because yeah, it sucks because though it's like those are people's jobs. It's like I don't take that much pleasure in it because J. Crew employs a ton of people. They're manufacturing supply chain, and it's like it stinks that because I've also I've had this half written video for a long time on how private equity firms are really sucking the life out of these brands. And like Payless is a great example of that. I watched that. We had a front row seat to that because we worked with Payless at my last company and how the companies come in, they leverage them a bunch of debt. They try and clear the books <laughs> that goes through the roof. And then the PE firm jumps out and then the company files for bankruptcy and they're in a bad place. And so yeah. uh, it's it, like, it's like a hot potato, right? I mean, that's yeah. essentially what a lot of these private equity firms are playing. And you know, a lot of these brands and these grooming brands, which might be a nice segue into Strix, um, you know, like the Dollar Shave Clubs, right? They raise so much money, but the name of the game is just acquire customers, build it up, and, and you know that, okay, we're going to sell this at some point. And so the only way that these companies ever make money or the, the only way that they ever really, the, the investors actually make money is, is if, if it goes, you know, if they end up selling it to, you know, somebody else, but it's all about, you know, the acquisition, these companies aren't necessarily profitable along the way. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about something. Okay. So let me tell you how I first heard about Strix. You and I were in Austin a little less than a year ago. And um, it was January. It wasn't even it, that long. It was, ago. it was January. Is this it was all, year. Okay. Isn't that crazy? Oh my gosh. It feels this like year, 10 this, years ago. <laughs> yeah. This year has been, is, has definitely been a weird one, but so so you and I, you know, didn't really communicate all that much. You know, once in a while, you're always, you know, commenting on the T. Shanley vlog and, and everything. And I was following you. I'm a subscriber. 
Um, I, but I didn't know about this project that you're working on. And so we go to this, this, we go to Austin where, uh, we call it affectionately man camp where a bunch of us like men's lifestyle, you know, people, it used to be style, but now it's sort of evolved into a lot of other areas, but just guys that we've sort of met and gotten to know over the course of the years of, of the men influential conference, it's a more like intimate experience where we get to get together and just kind of talk shop, talk a little bit about business and just hang out with people that are doing the same sort of thing that we are. Because that's, for me, one of the most valuable things of, of even the Menfluential Conference. It was connecting with people that, that have similar lifestyles, that have similar goals and visions. And, you know, for me, entrepreneurship has been at times a very lonely journey. And so for, for us to be able to get together, hang out, just shoot the shit, talk business, go out to eat and just have fun, uh, play stupid games. Like what was the one game? Secret Hitler. Hitler, Secret Hitler, which I still am not sure I understand how to play. I'm not very good at was, it was a great opportunity. But one of the things that Eric Banholtz, a mutual friend of ours was like, Hey, did you hear about John and Strix? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? And then I said, John, what are you, what are you doing? And then you came over and actually handed me this box. And you're like, it's a concealer tool. And I'm like, men's makeup? Yeah, and this, and we also have this, and we have this, and this is what we're going to do. And immediately, I'm like, yep, this is going to be successful. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And the reason is not only, you know, I think you're an incredibly sharp guy. I just know that, you know, in this space, you know, the skincare and seeing the grooming industry and all these different brands, the one area or avenue that was missing was a men's makeup line that didn't feel like a makeup line. And when I saw your packaging, when I saw sort of your collateral and everything that you were doing, I'm like, this is it. This is kind of like, you know, I'm going to use like the T. Shanley of like, of, of like makeup. Like it's just, you know, for, for guys that aren't, you know, that just want to feel great about themselves. It's not necessarily about, you know, putting on a smoky eye, which I think a lot of guys, when they think about, or at least our fathers or grandfathers, think about makeup, they think about, you know, makeup is, is just for women, but this is more of a tool basically just to feel better about yourself. And so tell me a little bit about Strix, how it came to be, how you got involved and sort of what the, 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 the future for the company holds, because from what I understand, you guys are, have launched and rolled out into CVS pharmacies and are just doing some incredible things. I've seen a lot of different press on you guys. And so tell me and everybody listening, the story of, of Strix and how it came to be. Yeah. Well, the teach handling of makeup is uh, quite the compliment. So appreciate that <laughs> because largely what we're riding on is the success of companies like, like teach handling. And I would say, you know, it started where uh, my co-founder Devere, uh, he woke up on the day of his wedding, had a pimple and that led him down the road. You know, he was uncomfortable going even to the makeup artist that day to get it covered up. And he spent the whole day with the pimple and then pictures were taken and they had to Photoshop them. It was a whole, it was a whole ordeal. But then he talking to other guys, like every guy has that story. Every guy has a story of a first date or a big meeting or a wedding where they had a blemish on their face and it takes you off your game. Like you just don't feel as confident. You don't feel as good. And then women have a thousand ways to fix their face and guys are expected to live with it. Guys are expected to put some pomade in and just live with it. And it's like women, I think my wife spent $400 on makeup for the day of her wedding. And I woke up and put some pomade in my hair. And it's like, there's a very, there's a very big gap there. <laughs> and so that led him down the road to see like, all right, why isn't this the case? What is the market out there? And he, then he started to say like, what, there are no companies from the ground up that say, we're going to make these products for men. There's companies that will rebrand women's packaging. Uh, they'll put men's, you know, for men on a women's product, but there isn't one that 
designs, formulates, packages everything for men straight through. And that also rides on the wave of, you know, when I got into style, it was because of Mad Men. I wanted skinny ties. I wanted the suits. I wanted all of that. And I brought a whole generation into caring about their appearance. That's how and I got the, into bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> I saw them drinking. I'm like, what are they drinking? It looks good. Anyway, exactly. go on, John. Go on. Exactly. And so that, that created a wave. And then the next step in that is, all right, you care about your suit, but your face is greasy. It's like, how do you fix your face? You get something like T. Hanley or you have acne. You get the acne solution. But then the next step of that is like, what if you need a quick fix? Makeup is there. And what we're, and what, you know, DeVere found through the years developing is uh, there are studies that show 56% of men have admitted to putting a cosmetic on their face. And it's, it's funny. They say admitted, they don't say that they did it. They're like, yeah, I might've done it. And, and for the most part, it's people taking their partner's concealer and covering up a pimple or coming like just fixing something really small. And so the idea with Strix is like, all right, if we put this in really sleek, discreet packaging, we make it very approachable. We'd remove the stigma that it isn't eyeshadow and that sort of thing. Like it's a tool to fix something on your face and give you that quick fix. Uh, you know, how, what does that look like from a, from a male perspective? And uh, you know, they worked with prime studio who did Harry's design and a few other like really nice products. And it's like, all right, great packaging formulations, professional makeup artists to make sure it's quick and easy. So you don't need tools or blenders or anything else. Like how do we make it as frictionless as possible? And then, um, and then launch. And so then I was actually one of the first, I, I knew DeVere because we were both writing about similar companies. And when they launched, I was the first video for it. And it was my first time. Uh, I had used like a concealer in the past that was like my mom's like on a picture day or something. And so there was like that out there, but uh, it was, okay. So this is my first time using a cosmetic. And then through the whole year, that was January of 2019. I used it in a ton of my videos. I would like wake up, I'd put it on, I'd shoot some videos. The one, the one major video I did on Alan Edmonds, I walked to their factory and everything. And I woke up that day with like pimples on me and I put that on that day. And so later it was, um, it was probably around July. He said, Hey, you know, we need somebody that can really own the educational aspect of what we do because a huge component of Strix is leading with education. How do you work this into routine? How do you make this normal and really being a face of the brand uh, he was like, you know, do you know anybody? And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, I'm kind of interested. And I think, I think the idea was that they would get me interested through that conversation. And um, so I came on as a later stage co-founder at the time we had the two products. And then from there, it was like off to the races. It was like, you know, build out the YouTube channel, experiment with TikTok, you know, Instagram, and just really build the company around this stuff. And so since then, now we're actually next week, we're launching our, our fifth product in the line. So we'll have five total products by the end of the year. What are the, what are the products? So we have, so the third one we launched was our gel cleanser, which is a, a face wash. It's the first face wash specifically formulated to remove the cosmetic. And so no face washes uh, assume a guy has a cosmetic on. So we made one because we were getting feedback that guys were getting the tint on their pillow because most face washes can't remove it. Even like the, 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 the T. Shanley scrub, it gets pretty close because you need something to really work it in, but you don't mm. want to use that every day. Um, and then, so the fourth product is a plankton algae-based eye serum. Uh, with like this aluminum roller ball that goes under the eye because our number one use case for the concealer is dark under Bags, eye circles. Dark, yeah, 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 yeah. So guys want to lighten that up. And so this is like a one-two punch. It like reduces the under eye and then hits there. And then we have like this um, Korean skincare-based lip balm uh, that we wanted to launch the company with uh, that'll be coming out very soon here. So that's product number five. And then we got other things. You know, our whole premise for the company is what products are at the intersection of cosmetics and skincare. So every product we want to have this cosmetic element to it uh, because 
people, there's great skincare companies out there. I mean, Tiege included, I use Tiege and, uh, you know, name, name the company, you don't have to, because they're your competitors, um, but nobody has these cosmetic products. And so it's like, how do we bring cosmetics into this, make it easy, put it alongside those other companies? Because it's like, we're not going to replace a person's regimen. We just want to be that cosmetic company for guys. And so, you know, Boy, it's, I can it's talk fun. a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. This is this is all amazing because I mean the thing that I really love is entrepreneurship, and you know the thing that I really loved and resonated with Strix was that it was it was solving a problem that 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 was there, but people weren't really addressing or dealing with, or I should say, other people or other makeup and cosmetic companies have attempted to do it, but just like with 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 Tiege Hanley, it wasn't formulated or started from the ground up to be for men. And, and so that's something that I was like, you know, this is, this is, this is brilliant. This is definitely going to be something that I think, you know, and really, I think people and guys in general, um, you know, in, over in Korea, you know, cosmetics are a lot bigger for men. They're very, you know, early in terms of adopting things of, of that nature. And I really feel like the, the point at which we are as a society is getting a lot more comfortable being who you are. And, and there's a lot more leeway and flex, the, the gray area is getting much bigger in terms of what is acceptable, what is socially acceptable and what is deemed as like manly or masculine, right? And so when I saw that you guys were doing this, I was like, this is definitely going somewhere. So you guys have already gotten into a major retailer with CVS. How did that process happen? Like, what, like explain that to me, because that for me, I mean, I just heard about you guys, you know, a year ago and all of a sudden you guys are, you know, rolling out to, you know, a major, major brand in like 2000 locations. So, so talk a little bit about that if you would. Yeah. So, I mean, none of these things happen overnight, as you know, I mean, uh, I think your lip balm took uh, an extra year than than you guys (laughs) want. 37 versions. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was actually right around when I started um, CVS had approached us to do a pilot in their stores. And the way that CVS tests things is they have a 10 stores around their headquarters, which is in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And so I think the idea there is like, if we, if a product sells there, which is very like suburban and, you know, off of the, you know, out of a major city, um, it'll sell great across the country. It's like a good test store. And so we did that and we actually had outsold almost all of the other brands on there. And it's like, if a men's cosmetic can sell at that volume in you know, this part of the country, how good would it do in New York or California or, or you know, major cities? Uh, and so then it was, all right, we're going to move forward and uh, roll out in 2000 doors. And actually it was a, it was much more of a debate for us internally because we thought our road to retail was higher end. It was going to be Nordstrom or Sephora or, you know, places because the way we're positioned is, it's kind of like, uh, premium accessible premium. It's like our pricing isn't where Tom Ford, Tom Ford makes a men's concealer, but it's $55. And it's like, mm-hmm. we have very similar formulations, but we're at $20. Uh, and so we thought going forward, we were going to be in those retailer locations, but the more that we consider the CVS thing is like, guys don't shop at Nordstrom for skincare products necessarily. It's like, it's, it's very low volume, but where guys are is CVS and target. And so it's like, and, and if, if our goal as a brand is to, destigmatize this stuff to have these products next to razors and deodorant. There's no better way to get that really kickstarted. And so we had to consider as a brand, like, do we go into CVS? Is that on brand for us? Is that the right thing to do? Um, and so, yeah, that was like months of debate, but, but yeah, so then it was, you know, 2000 doors. Cause we're part of this. Um, it's like CVS beauty. So we're in what are considered like their more premium locations across the country. So we're like, we're from Maine to, 
you know, California, we're all over the place. We're in 2000 doors and, and, you know, at every state, I think, except for Hawaii and Alaska, I think we're in the lower 48. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a huge lift too, because then it's units and inventory for every single door. We actually went into production amidst COVID. Like we, we put in a PO in, in March and did that. And so, um, you know, that was a huge lift and now we're, we're, you know, we're rolled out. And at this point we're rolled out. Uh, we have like a store locator where you can see where we're at. And now the goal is like, all right, keep that momentum, work with other retailers, continue that and work to get alongside other products that make this you normal. Know- it's funny, our friend Eric Van Holtz, Beard Brand, sort of case study in, you know, Neiman Marcus, or not, not Neiman Marcus, but uh, Nordstrom. Sounds awesome, right? Sounds super sexy. You know, I'm in, I'm in Nordstrom's. And they pulled out and they actually, you know, went into Target. And it's been one of the best decisions and, and business lifts for them uh, going into a more readily available space. And Target is pretty in- incredible in terms of their men's lines and, and, and grooming sort of department has really really elevated this this past i don't know i guess like probably year two years yeah and just so the last went, 18 months i mean yeah, if you i went in there it looks I went like in. A for men. Yeah, i'm like i i went in i'm like oh my god i sent pictures of everything to to you know our partners at robin kelly i said this you know fuck this like why aren't <laughs> we here we need to get in here but um so talk a little bit about sort of how you transition from you know, working for Apple and then going into this other, you know, startup and then transitioning into a full-time YouTuber. Um, your most popular video is, you know, analyzing pouch underwear. You go <laughs> over like 1.5 million views. And I'm, I'm looking at that video. I'm like, yep, that's a good thumbnail. I could never, I could never pull that <laughs> off, but, uh, but you wear I think it you well. I pulled so. off better thumbnails than me. <laughs> you, you wear it well. And so uh, that was like your big, like, you know, your big breakthrough video but another one of your videos with over half a million views is is this this white sneaker sort of analysis where you are laying there white you know minimal sneakers super popular everybody's talking about them everybody's got a brand and you're sitting there laying there with like all these sneakers around you and the only thing i thought is how much damn money has he spent on these white minimal sneakers and does he return them does he send them back after the video and after i watch i don't think you do i think you've got them uh, I've, I've now sold them like to my audience for like 50 or 75 bucks over time because okay. a man can only wear so many sneakers. That's what I'm uh, thinking. You're the amount of closet and re- so, so tell me, how did you transition and decide to pull the trigger and go full time? Because you know, you're, you're a family man, you've got responsibilities. You're not a, you know, 19 year old kid living at home that can just do this and sort of grow it and, and hope it makes money. How did you make the transitions just for, you know, and, and do you have any advice or tips for other people out there that are thinking about possibly like starting, but not sure when to pull that trigger and to, to really commit to it? So how did that process work for you? Yeah, it was, it was a long road and it was very, it was very uh, calculated as I went. So I had started my channel um, right after our wedding. It was right after our wedding before my son was born. I was like, I'm going to start this YouTube channel. I was actually going to start it based on mattress reviews because um, I was like, I wanted to buy a mattress. I couldn't find them, but then, you know, Bonobos and everything else was also part of the, the launch of that. And so it took me about three years to get to like 5,000 subscribers because I didn't do anything to really push it. Like my family didn't even know about my channel for the first two years. I was just like doing it uh, on the side. And then there came a point where I was like, all right, I feel some momentum and I feel like there's a business here. And like, let me explore that a little bit. And so it was your a first solid- video is the Frank and Oak crate review, yeah. correct? Yeah. Yep. I had been buying Frank and Oak for years on that. And then, um, and I was like, all right, so I think there's a business here. Let me figure it out. And so then I dug into that more. And then 
there was a point at, at uh, my last company where I was on this project and it, it was so demoralizing. I think also, I think as entrepreneurs, I think you've talked about this as like, we're just bad employees. It's like, you think <laughs> you know better. Get, I'd never get hired. Nobody would ever yeah. hire me. I think when you're an entrepreneur, it's like, you feel like you know better than the boss. And if the boss doesn't listen to you, you're just going to leave. Like you're going to do, go do your own thing. And I felt that at, at, at my last company a lot. I was like, we shouldn't be doing things this way. It's like, if you're not going to change, why am I here? This is very frustrating. And there was a project that I was on where I was like, all right, if this is how things are going to keep going, I'm, I'm over this. But, but yeah, you're right. So, so at that point I had two children and I was like, all right, I need to be able to, to make at least this much money to cover my expenses. What was and your also, number? What was your number, John? My number was $3,500 a month. I was like, I have to hit that because I can cover my expenses, including healthcare. And then anything above that, let me keep rolling from there. And um, there, there, and then I hit that point and I was like, okay, maybe it should be higher. And, uh, <laughs> but when I hit that point, I was like, all right, I'm going to quit. I was in May of 2018. And I was like, I'm going to quit by my birthday in August. It's like, I'm going to line everything up because in 2017, that's when I started taking it more seriously. I was like, all right, I need a business bank account. I need like tax information, business license. I trademarked the Cavalier. I was like, let me put all this stuff into place. It took a whole year. And then I hit that number and I was like, all right, time to- How did you hit that number? Talk a little bit about how you're making money from in the early days. And, and oh, really, yeah. yeah, because that's one of the things that a lot of people, when they when you tell them, oh, I'm a YouTuber and yes, it's my job and yes, I can make money. How did you monetize it? Because you, know, you weren't doing a ton of advertising, paid advertising yeah. at the time. So talk a little bit about that if you would. If I was a little bit more organized, I would do a breakdown like Brock does. Like Brock has his whole income report and everything. Like I would be fine doing that. I just am not organized enough to put it all <laughs> together. Um, but everything from the beginning of my channel, I always wanted to do affiliates because to me, affiliates were the best way to uh, continue to have some sort of editorial independence and then also monetize. It's like if I recommend products and people buy them, I get a commission. And if they like that product, they trust me more. And it's this feedback cycle of like, it's got to be about trust. And if you know, trust will end up continuing on through there. So it's always been this long play. And I think by that point, I may have done one or two sponsored videos, but there, but my like line was I'll do educational uh, videos as a sponsorship. And then I'll continue to do my reviews independently. Cause I, cause to me, there was never the oxymoron in, in our world is like a sponsored review. It's way more prevalent on the women's yeah. side of things. But to me, it's like, you cannot have a sponsored review. You can have a discussion about Don't it. Don't tell Ashley Weston that. <laughs> I, I did a video where I said, this is a not sponsored review. I think I did a video where I copied her thumbnail. Uh, it was a whole- uh, It's like, wait a second, hold on, wait a second. It's not a review if you're getting paid to talk about something and that's the winner out of your analysis. Like, wait yeah. a second. <laughs> exactly. Because I've seen it. My wife follows all the beauty influencers very closely. Yeah. And I'd seen it on the women's side. And then it's like, this can't be right. And so, yeah, so it was all affiliates. And so my, my goal, which is like add more affiliates and build this out and continue to grow that way. Um, and then, you know, be able to continue from there. I think even, I think this year I might've done two sponsored videos. Like I just don't do many sponsorships on the channel um, because I don't need to. And it, and then I think at that point too, so, affiliate, so aff affiliate money. So you were basically going to these brands that you were talking about. Were you with a specific sort of ad 
you know, uh, a, a re- is there like a, a oh yeah, a, okay. So let me talk about mission junction or what? What is it that you're using? Yeah. So most of the brands that are out there will have an affiliate uh, platform, and you can find them in the network. So there's like a I'm on I'm on 14 affiliate platforms because if I check all of them, one of them will have that brand, and so I didn't even have to interact with the brand necessarily. Just hit the apply button, and you and you go through on them. And so I actually built a backend on in my um, I have like a, a whole backend system where I'm pulling API data from the affiliate networks to then fill out this data studio where I can see which brand is on which platform, which one has this conversion rate and and track all the revenue through that. Because otherwise like get a login and see all this other stuff. And so that was part of like setting this up is like, I need clarity into what's going on here so that I can just make sure stuff's getting paid. And And so just so for, for everybody out there, an affiliate link is basically when you sign up for this, they will give you a unique URL that you basically put in your description or in your email or on your Facebook or whatever it is. And so if anybody goes through that to check it out or to buy it, you get a small percentage or a commission off of anything purchased. And that is how a lot of people, a lot of a lot of people get started. It's also uh, how a lot of people make a substantial amount of their their your, their income. And so blogs are, blogs are huge for that. And so yeah. like I I think I probably have one of the higher uh, YouTube channels that does it. It's not very common on YouTube, but blogs. I mean, complete the, the points guy, wire cutter, like all these sites are really built on affiliates. And I was like, all right, even let me take GQ, that. even GQ and, oh, yeah. and Esquire and all these, it, you know, the reason they're recommending these different things when you're reading an article and you can go through, they're generating that 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 revenue or the affiliate revenue. It's them. actually become more prevalent. Like it wasn't that big five to six years ago. And then over time, as CPMs have dr- dramatically dropped and advertising has dropped, people have leaned in, like the strategist from the New Yorker didn't exist. They, they stood that up because it was built on affiliates and that's a it's a little bit more of a sustainable model uh, if you can get the right amount of uh traction so yeah so so i hit my number i was like i'm gonna clip my, quit my birthday put my two weeks in in august of that year and then i was like off and free full-time youtuber oh i also i built my studio in that year so in my house i was shooting stuff in a bedroom at first and then my daughter was born took that With bedroom, an egg and bacon picture bacon and eggs from parks and rec <laughs> and then i went to my basement in my basement I was, I'm six, four. So my, if I would stand up, my head would literally be at the rafters. The rafters were at my eyebrows. Uh, and so I was like, all right, if I'm going to do this, I need a place to work. So I had a garage that had a rotting roof in my backyard. And over that year, I worked with my uncle who was a contractor and we built that as a studio. So it had heat, it had fiber optic internet. And I would just go out there every day and start shooting. And that was, that was really the catalyst is like, all right, I have a place to work. I have a business. I can cover my healthcare for the kids and have it. I actually had another baby while I was self-employed and then uh, go on from there. And so, so that whole thing is what set me up to even be able to do the tricks because jumping into a startup like that from a like cushy corporate job would have been very, very difficult. But because I was out on my own and I could do my own thing, I could take this chance and like, all right, let me, let me go with Strix and, and build this up. It's a really exciting opportunity. But I, could, I, I almost certainly could not have done that if I was going straight from the corporate world. So talk a little bit about TikTok. So, oh, yeah. oh, TikTok, like what, like, isn't it just for the kids? Like, so, so how did you get started on TikTok? You know, how do you monetize TikTok? Is there sort of a strategy, a, be, a best practice? I, uh, I just, TikTok seems like such a, a it, it's the hottest platform out there right now. Everybody's on it. Um, but you sort of were on it and saw this as an opportunity very early on. And so talk a little bit about TikTok and how you got into that. 
Yeah. So when I started with Strix, uh, the idea was build up the YouTube channel and have that be our educational resource. And then, you know, Instagram and stuff. And then TikTok was like bubbling. This was last year. This was 2019. And um, I had lunch with a friend and he was like, the power of TikTok is that it puts the creator tools. It's a, it's a powerful combination of creator tools and music remixes. And I was like, interesting. So I went home from that lunch and I shot a TikTok, the very first one that's on our page where I was showing how to cover up razor burn with our concealer. And I didn't even know what I was doing. Like I didn't even finish the video. And within the first day it had 300,000 views. And I was like, there's something here. Like, this is interesting. So then I leaned into it. I started experimenting more with it. And I could see that TikTok, especially last year, it's changed a little bit now, but TikTok last year is very much where YouTube was in like 2012. It's like, if you had a couple of good videos on YouTube, or Instagram. Instagram was the same way around that time. It's like, you could just explode, gain followers, a lot of traction, a lot of traffic. And um, so I was like, all right, let me lean into this. And so, yeah, in the matter of the first, I would say two months on TikTok or into January, I think at that point I had like 4 million organic views and we had 20,000 followers. And it's like, you cannot get that kind of growth on Instagram, no matter how hard you try. There's very few accounts that can do that. And so the idea there was like, all right, grow TikTok, move them over to Instagram or YouTube. And, um, and, and I also saw so much engagement, so many comments, and there's so much activity on there that is very rare on some of these other platforms. And it was like, if this is a new cut, like, I don't know if we're tapping into a new customer or what, but it's also just fun. Like if you spend time on TikTok, it's very pleasant, happy. happy. The comments are nice. There's no negative. There's very little negativity. And if there is negativity, people come back and defend the person who is, they, chastise a person that was negative, like get off of my platform. Just like YouTube, right? <laughs> oh, exactly. Like YouTube. Actually, I have a really good case study. Let me tell you this case study of my wife. Um, my wife posted a TikTok. It was like 18 seconds where she showed how parchment paper can rip Reynolds wrap. And she got 1.7 million views in three days. She got picked up. up She's actually on Good Morning America this morning. And like they took her TikTok and put it on Good, good Morning America. And a memes page, and then the comments are all like very positive and nice. And then a memes page on Instagram that has 5 million followers reposted her TikTok. And all the comments are like, why is, what's wrong with like her nose is bad. Like it was all negative. And it's like, you could see the contrasting sides of the platforms in that. It's like TikTok, super positive, nice. Oh, thanks for showing me this. Instagram is like, what's wrong with your hair? Why don't you like put some makeup on or something? It's, it's crazy between the two of them. And so, yeah, so TikTok last year. How, how does she, ha- how does, I mean, I know this just happened today, but how do you handle that? How do you handle the negativity? I think that's something that I have never really figured out how to do, but, um, but it's, it's, it's there, it's prevalent, especially on, on YouTube and, and with putting yourself out there. Um, how, do you, how do you handle the, the criticism or the negativity, John? I think you can speak to this as well as anybody as you can. It's human nature. It's like you always, you always listen to it. And I saw this. I put up a video. I can't remember which video it was. It was just in like the last two weeks. And there was a ton of positive comments. And one guy said, uh, wow, your video quality is really declining. And I was and like, that's the only comment I remember. It's like, screw the 70 comments. They were like, great to have you back. Like, so nice. Like, thanks for covering this. And the one guy was like, your quality is declining. And I was like, no, it's not. Like, I don't think you ever really get over that. And for her though, I think it's helped that um, she has always followed the beauty space very closely. So she knows the drama within there, but she's also she's also been on a couple of my videos where she's seen the feedback. And so yeah. she knows that it's not always, um, what's the, what's the thing that, um, 
LeBron James says is like, don't listen to the man that's not in the arena. I think there, I think once you can internalize that, that's as best as you can do. Cause otherwise it's still, it's always going to get to you to some degree. Well, that's good advice. I, I still haven't been able to figure it out. <laughs> I yeah. still, it still affects me, even though I know, you know, and, and, and it was really, um, you know, exacerbated um, about a, a little over, I guess it was almost two years now. Like you're, the whole, like, um, I remember and our, Ben, Ar- yeah, exactly. Ben Arthur thing. Um, he kind of went after me and, and a, another guy and, and then, you know, it caused a, a rift between me and, and Brock and, and a bunch of other guys. And it was just a really like bad, it, it hurt so bad, right. That, you know, somebody, even regardless of if there's a degree of truth in whatever people say, because in, in a lot of criticism, you know, you gotta, you gotta really look at yourself. And I think that, um, you know, you need in order to be successful at life and, and as a content creator, you need some type of feedback loop. You know, you can't be, you know, so, so self-absorbed or just, you know, invis- or just not, you've got to be able to look at yourself and you've got to be able to look at yourself through a critical lens, which is not the easiest thing to do. And so when somebody criticizes you, you know, the one thing that I guess the comments that hurt the most is when there's a degree of truth in it. Um, you know, but I nice had said that. Casey Neistat has said that multiple times is like, he will, he'll like read this comment, but then he'll, it'll sit with him. Like, what was that one thing that they were right about? Because that is, that is always the truth. Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. Mine is like, Oh, you're out of content ideas. I'm like, well, how the fuck did you know? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the easiest thing in the world to put this shit out there, but anyway. Um, but let's see, that, let's, let's see them put out consistent content for 10 years. So it's like, exactly. Also it, have to it, look at the flip side of it. Exactly. And so, and that's one of the, the, the interesting sort of tough or the tough things about YouTube is you want to put out things that are going to get views. You want to test new things. But oftentimes when you put out something like some of my best videos that I love, that I thought were, you know, really, I spent a lot of time and effort and energy. They have the lowest amount of views. Isn't but when you put some, Oh, it's the worst. And that like, I did a video actually yesterday. It was like a hygiene mistake video. And I went to a Oh, with the spade? Yeah, I went, yeah. I went, I went to his public restroom. I'm like, all like, oh, this video is really good. I, I thought it was a good video. I show tips on how to, you know, make a cleaning solution for your phone. Like, and it got like terrible views. I'm like, son of a bitch. Like, but, but so, so it's always sort of trying to balance the being creative with giving your audience what they've expected and what they've, you know, come to expect through a, uh, you know, through, through subscribing to you. But yeah. It, well, at that point, you're not just trying to please the audience. You're trying to please the algorithm, which is like, you got two, two nemesis right there. Well, exactly. I had a conversation. It's like, oh, you know, this video is clickbaity. That's why the al- algorithm doesn't like it. I'm like, well, if it's not clickbaity, nobody's going to watch it. It's like, what do you, you know, you tell me you want this anyway. So just to finish up, but I mean, you know, the criticism is something where the thing that hurt me back when we were doing that, that thing with like, you know, Brock and everybody, it was that not only was there a degree of truth in it that I realized, but the other part of it was, um, you know, it was, it was just, you know, people that I thought were like my friends that I've gotten to know over the years that it was just, it was very hurtful because it's like, wait a second, I would help any of you, you know, and I have tried to help, you know, people. And so that was one of the things, I guess, you know, that was, that was the most sort of hurtful thing about that situation. But, you know, bottom line is that, you know, the thing that this year has sort of taught me is, you know what, people do the best job they can. Everybody is trying to figure this out. Everybody is struggling to some degree. And, you know, you've just got to, you've just got to, you know, put your pants on every day and just show up and, and do the work and do the job. 
And I think gonna... I, I don't want to cut you off, but I think that's no, no. one of the best parts of what you do on the Teach Hanley channel and why I followed that for so long is like you can look at, at you, Aaron, and the businesses that you have and think everything is figured out. But then in the Teach Hanley blogs, you're like really showing it's like I'm testing this. I'm trying to figure this out. This thing worked. And I think it, it goes to show that like the the persona that people see online is one thing. But then if they do dig in and see the reality, I think that's what's special about what you do is that you are as, as, as transparent as almost anybody can be with your amount of attention, subscribers, followers, like even yesterday you posted the thank you uh, on Thanksgiving to saying thank you to people. And I, and I don't know how much people realize that that is genuine, uh, but, I, but like from getting to know you over the past couple of years, like it is very true. And I think you keep that, you keep that nugget there always of like being thankful and, and making sure you're giving back I am to the always, audience. I am always hyper aware that this all could go away tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that I, I am always like, I'm just so every day I am just super thankful of, of what I get to do for a living, what you get to do for a living, because, you know, I have not always had this. And I think one of the, my, my biggest assets for me is that I had a life, I had a career, I had failures way before I ever got into, you know, YouTube or found any type of, of success on, on this platform. I mean, I was literally like, you know, 30 some years old, I had filed bankruptcy. So I was a man, you know, as opposed to some of these, these other younger, you know, people that find immediate, immediate meteoric success. And that is one of the things that I'm so thankful that I've had these failures because I mean, that's the thing that, that keeps you focused and I think hungry. And so you know, um, I want to tie that back to what you had said about making the jump here is, and I, cause we talk about, I know we talk about a lot about entrepreneurship and everything. It like, I don't, I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't spend almost 10 years in corporate and essentially getting paid to learn and screw up on somebody else's dime to then jump into entrepreneurship. Because I, I always romanticize and fantasize entrepreneurship and I still do, even now I'm like, I'm a couple of years into it as a full-time uh, entrepreneur. But the fact like for young guys that are listening to go out and get that first job and just eat shit for a while and like get paid to learn, I think is so valuable in that space. And that's part of, you know, you experienced that you went through that and that's, what's made you stronger today, but to jump right into it, I think it makes it a lot harder because you don't know the mistakes you're going to make. And then you're doing it on your own dollar too. All right, John, we're wrapping this bad boy up, but I want to know as an entrepreneur, what is your best piece of business advice to the folks out there listening? Oh, I just said it. It was to get uh, to get the corporate. I think um, <laughs> I think there's a level of fearlessness that you have to practice before you get into there. It's like you got to take those take those lumps, but then also um, whatever you want to build, dedicate time to it and really test it because you have you know especially if you have a job now, you have the opportunity to work. What is it the nine to one a.m. shift, right? And really test things out, but get this the feedback. And I like what you do on the Tease channel. You were like, I'm going to be your your worst. Um, your best advisor, because you got to get that feedback, not just from people that like you, but test it out online, test it it's, out. It, it's more important. I, I truly feel that the, you know, when you are starting a business, it's, it's more important to get the, the feedback from the people that, that don't know you, don't love you, don't have to sit next to you at Thanksgiving dinner, um, because they're the ones that are going to hopefully be honest with you, but your friends, your family, your loved ones, they don't want to hurt your feelings. And so if you are, you know, going out there, you know, and you're, like I said, you know, if you're making, you know, gold infused water and you're going to sell it for $69 and your mother's like, great idea, sweetie, get somebody else to, <laughs> that doesn't know you to see if, if they would actually purchase that, because that's, that's, uh, that's, 
one of the hardest things is getting and getting feedback from people that are willing to be honest with you. And I think the honesty is something that, uh, that is invaluable. John Shanahan, thank you so much. What's next for you? Uh, we got, listen, we got so many products uh, I'm testing right now. It's really exciting. And so more stuff on Strix. And then, you know, over on the Cavalier side, I got, uh, I got a lot of plans for next year that I'm working on just around, you know, continuing what I've, what I've built up to at this point, which is to like help guys make better purchasing decisions when they're building their wardrobe and keep going from there. Guys, we're going to link to John's YouTube channel down below. We'll also link to Strix if you guys are interested in checking out this up-and-coming men's cosmetic company. I encourage all you guys to go check it out and to give it a try. They got different shades, and it's also just it's, it's a confidence booster, guys. And with everybody being on Zoom, I see that as another opportunity for you guys because, I mean, it's, it's all about, you know, putting your best foot forward. It's not about, you know, looking beautiful. It's about feeling confident. And that's the thing that I really love about, about the brand and the company. And just want to congratulate you, John, for, for getting involved with that. And, and I really see big things happening. So thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being my friend. And thanks for hanging out with me for about 45 minutes, John. Thank you, Aaron. All right, guys, see you next week. Bye-bye. Gentlemen, thank you for listening to this episode. As always, I appreciate your support. Once again, if you found this episode or any of the content I've put out in the past helpful, please leave a rating and review on the platform you're listening to this on. Once again, every week, we're going to read out and feature a few of my personal favorite reviews. And if you're looking to upgrade your sunglass game, don't forget to check out Enemy.com. Honestly, the quality of these glasses for the price is insane. Just read the reviews. Gentlemen, stay awesome.